enter if you dare this ghastly conversation of teens fraught with despair and recent lacerations. Final girl, chase after her, don't let her get away. But first, the slumber podcast massacre with TNA. Welcome to Slumber Podcast Massacre with TNA. That's Tim. That's Andy. And this is a podcast about horror. Every week, Tim and I are going to jump in and we're going to talk about a different horror movie. Sometimes it's going to be a masterpiece classic, and sometimes it's going to be that rare, rare gem at the back of your video store shelf. <laughs> this week, <laughs> we're going to talk about the 19... That was probably way too quiet on this <laughs> shit equipment. Uh, this is where, this week, we're going to talk about the 1986 Metal Masher Trick or Treat. Tim. Were you uh, into Satan in the 80s? Um, well, I, I don't think anybody really had a choice. Uh, <laughs> it was everywhere. I, I, he was everywhere. Well, I'm not going to put a gender. It was everywhere. Yeah, it was a bigger time for him um, around the mid-80s. And, and yes, I very much was. Um, but probably, you know, having to do a lot with the fact that I went to a, a religious school. So there was, you know, we talked about Satan every day. Right. You know, and... Not only was was there that it's sort like of, the worst principal's office, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean it was there was the, not only the threat of like disciplinary action, but the threat of ultimately Satan's wrath. Right. You know, I mean that's that's what you're up against as a ten year old. Um, so, but but the funny thing is, I actually had a very a very real and what could have been ultimately tragic run in with the what was called the satanic panic of the mid 80s mid to late 80s and that was um as i'm sure is probably the case for a lot of people there was an urban legend that there was a house in our town that satanic people were meeting at gathering at we didn't really know what they were doing but we figured that they were up to no good and that we had to to save our community from these satanists yeah and and that is totally legitimate. Uh, well, I mean, it's legitimate in our minds. Uh, and um, we were probably, I want to say I was probably maybe at that time 12. Let's say let's about 12 years old, 12, 13. And so there was one particular Friday night where we decided that we were going to kind of do the round robin thing. Like, hey, you tell your mom and dad that you're going to spend the night at this house. Sure. And I'll tell them that I'm spending the night at that house. And we're all just going to be free to roam over to wherever this satanic house is and deal with these people. Oh my so God. you can't deal with Satanists without the help. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this. Without the help of a loaded gun. Oh no! And um, how our, old? We, I was twelve. Jesus Christ! So um, our friend's dad was a gun enthusiast uh-huh. collector, and he had what was you know we call also, them patriots. Okay, uh, keep right, going. Yeah. <laughs> all things aside, uh, German. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> all all things aside, he had a German, I believe it was, um, spy gun, and it was like a little twenty-two. Kind of like the ones that, like in the 80s, that quote-unquote, like women carried in their purses. Sure. Like those yeah, little, like, those. square-looking ones. Sleek, easy to conceal, exactly. sexy. Yeah, low profile. So um, I we, we went over to our buddy's house. We got the gun. We loaded it. Um, with, with It took four bullets, which is weird. They were in a, a square formation. Oh, my God. Yeah, we loaded the gun. And before we ventured out... To do battle with Satan's army, of course, some girls in our class were having a mixer at their church youth group that night. <laughs> so before we're gonna, you know, rid the world of of Satan's power, yeah, um, we're gonna swing by and see if we can pick up some of these girls at their sure. church event. Maybe they'd want to come along, <laughs> right? I mean, really impress them, right? Exactly. Like you know, let's let's do some God's work for real. <laughs> So we walk, we literally walk probably two miles, three miles to this church function. I have a loaded gun in my pocket and we sit 
through the entire like youth group presentation. They brought in some like guest speaker, or whatever, and it was like an like an evangelical church too. It wasn't even like the church that we went to for our school. It oh. was that a group of the girls actually that in our school actually belonged to a way more hardcore evangelical church. What was it? It was. You can um, say it's okay. It, I think it was Liberty Bible. Okay. Okay. And uh, so we go, we walk to Liberty Bible Church, which is, is not a, a short walk, especially when you've got a loaded gun on you. <laughs> and we walk to this church and we sit through like the whole like two hour program. And when, when you sit through, you know, a church program or any program and you've got a loaded gun on yeah. you, the, the You're only thing you're thinking of turning it on yourself. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. If I were you, yes, that that would that would definitely apply. Yeah. Um, oh, I know how to end this. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, you know, maybe the Satanists win Don't today. mess with guns, kids. Right, yes. Like, yeah, that this is a huge disclaimer. <laughs> I, I don't recommend this at all. Um But here here we were when when you're when you're twelve years old, you got a loaded gun on you. And you're sitting through anything for two hours. The 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 thing you want to do most is just shoot that damn thing. Right. So the uh the church mixer lets out. Of course, our amorous intentions didn't really manifest themselves as as they never really could have, for God's sake. The girls all get picked up by their parents. We're still sort of freely wandering the streets. So immediately, as, as soon as the thing is over, we say, okay, well, let's go out in the church parking lot, wait till everybody leaves, and we'll shoot the gun off. Just because we had to, you right? Know, you're, you're compelled to shoot it. We came all this way, right? <laughs> yeah, we 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 should that we kind of like reasoned it with we we should be used to the gun, like we should understand like its recoil, right? You know, just so that when we get to the same and now you don't so, want to be surprised when you're killing Satanists, right? At what yeah. the gun does? Who knows what they've got going right. on their end? You know. But um, now you're sitting, you're listening to the story, and you're thinking to yourself, what were they going to do, like go over and murder people? But you have to understand, getting back to the point here, the satanic panic in the 80s was so prevalent and so, at least in our minds, real that when you thought of these quote-unquote Satanists, that you thought of them as people that literally were murdering other, kidnapping yeah. people, murdering sacrificing. people. Sacrificing. Sacrificing. And so we legitimately thought that we were going to do good. And I don't know if any of us really thought about actually shooting anyone, but it was more just the idea of, well, you, you know, better to have a gun and not need right. it than need it not have it. So um, we go into the parking lot, we shoot off the gun, and it's loud, you know, as yeah. guns are. And it kind of satisfied that bloodlust, just <laughs> just firing that thing off up into like probably like a you know maybe a forty five degree wow. angle, yeah, or maybe a little higher, <laughs> yeah. And we shot it off into the night the night air. Who and, knows where it came down? And that's when, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Satan just dropped like a lead anvil right out of the sky. Oh. Um, no, we uh, we shot that gun off, and it, and it just kind of like satisfied whatever itch we had to. To uh, to protect our community, I guess, and we all just walked home and watched movies and ate junk food and went to bed. Nice, yeah. So, all right. <laughs> Thanks for listening. And that was a uh, that was insane. It was, yeah. I I don't I don't recommend it. You know, it's not a good idea. Learning a lot about you through this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I'm not carrying. I promise. So, but you didn't yeah. uh, resurrect any demons, though, right? You're trying to avoid doing that because that's what this movie's about. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Along with a little bit of Satanism. Trick but or yes. treat, aka Ragman, aka um, Death at 33 RPM. Don't know why they didn't go with that working title. Directed by uh, Charles Martin Smith. Who's a an actor? You've seen him. You, he's a guy where you go, yeah, that guy. Yeah, you um, you're you're even if you look him up. I mean, for a lot of people, I we instantly recognized him. But a lot of people might look at him and say, I kind of know him from. Oh somewhere. yeah, I couldn't be like, oh, he's this guy in this, right? But you know that you know. <laughs> no, him. I've seen him. American Graffiti. Times. Yes. Uh, Never Cry Wolf. Um. Oh God. Oh, a uh, Starman. Yeah, he, he was, was the star guy man. in Starman. Um, uh, so yeah, he's definitely recognizable. You good man? No, 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 no. I'm just making that. But up. yeah, he was. <laughs> he just was, making that. He up. was in movies. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, he was an actor, and uh, he wanted to direct. And right. They kind of had this one uh, <laughs> ready to go. Sure. Well, well because well, we were talking beforehand, and you were telling me, go uh, yeah. tell our listeners okay. about how did movies get made in this time? Absolutely. So what you've got here is there is a an Italian executive producer by the name of Dino De Laurentiis and a legend yes absolutely and he uh you know was was making films over in Italy uh came over to the United States became a naturalized citizen um did a movie in North Carolina and it generated so much local business that the the mayor or, or governor maybe even of that that uh, city or, or state said, hey, you know, let's go ahead and invest in getting you some property, some warehouses, so you can do this again. So his group kind of grew from that. And Dino had a title and a release date. And the title was Trick or Treat. And um, and he had whatever release date he had in mind. And that's all he had. It's he a bad a story. Title. Yeah, I know. Because the version we watched was called Ragman. Right. Way better. Right, right. Yeah, Ragman is a cool is a cool title yeah. and especially the fact that the movie itself doesn't have a whole hell of a lot to do with Halloween. No. I mean, that's just really kind of married in there. It could not, yeah, it just happens to happen during yeah. Halloween. So, um but they 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 have that title. It's and... it's set in Halloween just so they can shoehorn in the showbiz pizza bear mascot. <laughs> there is a very brief right. He's being wheeled out of a uh... <laughs> Costume party gone wrong. And it's what not the, even... What? Yeah, it's, just, it's like the official one. <laughs> right. It's not like, it, oh, God, that looks like the showbiz <laughs> right. pizza no, bear. No, the showbiz pizza bear. Yeah. So what happens <laughs> anyway, is... sorry. Yeah. What happens is he, Dino, goes to a couple of uh, younger producers who had just come off of, actually, Bridge episode, Freddy's Revenge. Yep. And there were these these two young producers. He approached them. He's like, I got this title. This is when I want to release it. Find me a movie. So they were, you know, kind of looking around through some various scripts and talking with different writers. And they knew that they might want to do a little something kind of. Uh, similar to the whole Freddy Krueger mystique uh, since they had just come off that. Yeah. And um, they found They were like, what if a guy who's burned comes back from the dead? (laughs) Right. And haunts younger Mm, people. Yes. Boy, that seems to work Dies in a fire. (laughs) Yeah. They must not have seen the fallout yet from the movie that they just did, (laughs) Freddy's Revenge. (laughs) Otherwise, they would have thought differently. But- um, but no, things were still, you know, feeling really hot with that that concept, and they find this writer. Now, the writer uh, who is Rhett Topham. Yeah, Rhett was a young guy, twenty two years old, and he had he he didn't even necessarily have a, a script. He just had kind of a general treatment. But yeah. he was talking about there are like three credited writers and two uncredited writers on this movie. Right. <laughs> yeah, a Some lot people... of lot of lot of cooks. Right. And and so these uh, what happens is is as it was described, you've got these two producers talking with this young writer. Um, there isn't a, a physical script, but it's one of those things where it's it starts out as a forty five minute meeting and it turns into like these three guys talking all afternoon, kind right. of coming up with new ideas, uh, new concepts, and what they they ultimately settle on is the idea of something having to do with sort of a, a kind of a satanic uh, underlying idea along with uh, the idea of some backmasking, some hidden messages yeah. within within the music itself. And then um, they bring that idea to Dino. Dino listens to it, and he's like, I think that's great. Go write the script. So they went ahead and uh, wrote the script. Topham wrote the script, and um, other people had you know a little bit of insight yeah. into that. But it kind of came about organically, um, and without a whole lot of studio influence, without a lot of you know puppet masters pulling strings, yeah. it was just people coming up with cool ideas and making it happen. Yeah, this doesn't seem a uh, meddled with picture, uh, right? But yeah, I mean, I, it goes a little off the rails, but not not like Exorcist Three, where you're like, all right, but well, I get why they did what they did. 
Well, exactly, and I and you know we'll. we'll oh, we'll should get we do Nancy's summary real quick? Well, yeah, we'll get to that more later, but uh, yeah, let's do Nancy. <laughs> let's stop. do Nancy's summary. We got bits, bits for days. Uh, okay, so Nancy's summary. So this is the story of uh, Eddie Weinbauer. He is a metalhead nerd. Uh, he idolizes Sammy Kerr. Uh, he learns Sammy has died in a fire. Uh, he's very sad. But he gets his hand on the only copy of Sammy's new album. So when he listens to it, he notices there's some uh, some backwards talking. And uh, he's able to converse with this uh, Sammy Kerr through the record. And uh, as time goes on, Sammy gets a little stronger and comes to life, kind of. You know, it's one of those resurrection through a speaker classic tale. Yeah. And uh, that's about it. It, it it's is. a simple. It's a very simple premise. Yeah, and the the whole backmasking thing. I don't know. It's backmasking. Thank you. I, yeah, I've I, only I, heard that term a thousand times this week, <laughs> and I couldn't have totally blanked. But you know what, though, I, I even as we say it now, like it's always a cool concept. Oh yeah, and um, and they even the, kind the, of, super cool. So this is what I love when people uh learn it, like how to say it backwards, so that when you play it backwards, it's correct you know what i'm saying right right yes yeah yeah that's amazing there's some dude on like america's funniest home videos i remember who did like a christmas carol and so and each shot was like him doing a line in reverse but all this crazy shit's happening in the background so then when you play it in reverse you know then the dog is like the christmas tree's popping back up but he's singing the right words oh that's like that's amazing yeah yeah now these guys back then just recorded it forwards and played it backwards. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> but but that is awesome though. Um, no, it's the concept of it has been around for a long time, and it was it was especially prevalent in the in the eighties. And whether it was bands actually doing it or parental groups and sort of anti metal groups accusing groups of doing right. it, you know, to influence subliminal finding influence. something like oh that sounded like kill yeah, right. your mom. Well, even even all the way back to because there's not a lot of like exciting stuff you can do with a record. That's about the only outside of its conventional use thing to do with a record is play it backwards. Right, like put something on it. Yeah, not much else you can do it. Right, Jack White has like been like he's revolutionized. He's like, look look at this. You put like a little hologram spinning in it. Like that's the been that was the third tier of amazing things in vinyl. But backtrack backmasking. I've already forgotten. Anything else that you do to a record is just gonna fuck it up. Yeah, you they're very delicate. <laughs> right, exactly. So, um, so really, yeah. don't even do the backwards. You're right? Just, yeah, you bad. can only do that so much. You know. Um, but it, but it's always been a neat idea. It's been around for a long time. The Beatles used it. Zeppelin was accused of it. I mean, even in Stairway to Heaven, they. Groups were trying to say that, like, there was subliminal messages in that. And I don't even remember what the message was supposed to be, but it was something like it was something like winter is coming, which is kind of funny because that that ended up being a pretty, pretty popular phrase. <laughs> yeah. But um, but yeah, so it's been around for a long time. But what's interesting about it in relation to this movie is that it sort of backfired on them because while it's a cool concept, what they really wanted to do was to involve some actual heavy metal personalities and performers in this movie and they were under such pressure and scrutiny at that time that it actually drove them away so you've got blackie lawless from wasp which is crazy right bunch of losers wouldn't you be jumping at this well you would think if you were truly a metal if you were metal (laughs) yeah i would love to do this well yeah you would think so because i mean you're not guys <sighs> demonic resurrections are just not yeah. not so, what I want to be associated with. Somebody might be associating us with Satanism if we right. do this. Well, they're already doing it, all right? Yeah. They're already soaking wet with it, so just might as well go out there. Anyway, have you heard my song, Lick the Devil? <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, that's how all metal guys talked, right? Yeah, in the, in the sort of uh, black comedian doing a white guy voice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's just Charles Martin Smith is really... <laughs> So, he was a nerd. <laughs> he was. And that's what's funny about it. They actually, the gate, they, these producers gave him, and I, I keep saying the producers, we're talking about Michael S. Murphy and Joel Soison. Soison. Yeah. Soison. 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 Yeah. 
But um, so they they uh, they interview this guy, and there are plenty of other directors who had you know ironically directed before um, that they could have gone with, but they go with Smith because they they just kind of liked him. They thought that he was getting the script, that he was understanding the treatment, and the fact that he was a nerd. And whether or not the guy is actually a nerd or not, he always played a nerd. Yeah. So they're like, well, this movie's kind of about an outcast. He seems like a genuine guy too. Right. Yeah, so they said, sure, you can direct it. Why not? You're an actor, you know. <laughs> so he gets the job, and um, but yeah, back to what we were saying about um, about these actual metal guys. Blackie Lawless from Wasp actually turns it down because he doesn't like the the connotation to Satanism or whatever. And Gene Simmons, I, I think from what I've read, it, it was just more that he didn't really necessarily care for the quality of yeah. the script. But he said, it's not you know, I'll take I'm a looking cameo. for in a film. That's my Gene Simmons. <laughs> Right. He's kind of a subdued Bernie Sanders. <laughs> well, they're both Jewish. <laughs> yeah. so. But uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, and what's funny is, is that I don't know, like Gene Simmons, well, both Gene Simmons and Ozzy, uh, Ozzy Osbourne is also in this movie, um, do a really good job of setting themselves aside and yeah. their personas aside. Very unconventional. Yeah. But the but Gene to, Simmons, you're like, because he plays a DJ. Right. Nuke is his name, uh, who he kind of tailored after uh, Wolfman Jack, which I don't, like, that's what he said, but uh, he doesn't really do a cool voice or anything, just because he's an energetic DJ, I guess. I don't know. Cowboy and a li- <laughs> yeah. cowboy hat and a little bit of a beard and sunglasses. Yeah, he looks like, it. I thought for a second he was, like, getting off air to go wrestle Hulk Hogan, because he looks like Randy Savage. Right. And the first bit... And then he's taking. I'm like, and he's taking all his stuff off. And then I'm like, oh, it's Gene Simmons. Like I didn't even know it was him at yeah. first. And I even said to you, I'm like, so he sticks his tongue out, and you're like, no, he's done. Like they, he's that's that's all he does in this movie. Right. I was like, wait, what? Yeah. And then you see Ozzy as the Reverend, yeah, the anti metal, anti Satan Reverend, improvising all of his lines. Yeah, and uh, and it's nothing fantastic. crazy. Yeah, yeah. So. This movie starts out um, with these these uh, premises that we're talking about, and it starts out wonderfully because because the movie starts out small. Um, here we are talking about Satanism and metal and and all of these like sort of grandiose themes and and um, and tapestries, but the heart of this movie and certainly the beginning of this movie is very much more of a coming of age, uh, struggling young man who's sort of outcast he has very few friends and um but yet very passionate about the music that he listens to and the movie succeeds amazingly well in these early stages uh as it kind of plays through his difficulties going through school the bullying all of these things yeah now I, I know I've got a million tangents to go off of with this movie, and I, I don't I, we don't have to spend too much time on it. But one thing that I did want to say real quick, just while we're, we're still talking so about some of it, we'll get to later. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, one thing we'll get to now. I, it, this is just something interesting. And I it was a question that I had when I was watching this movie. I had seen it uh, years and years and years ago when it first came out on video. And then we watched it again. And what I found myself thinking was, is where are all these movies now? Where where are all of these movies that are original horror movies that don't have a non-existent budget, but they don't they're certainly not big budget. Yeah. But it seemed like in the 80s there was just an absolute pile of these things, original ideas, original stories, original characters, even if they were derivative of each other. Um, but there were so many of them. You'd walk into the video store and and it's literally walls yeah. and rows of all these. You're like, how were these all in theaters? How? Right. <laughs> and so I, I've been pondering this question for weeks. I finally got the answer. Actually, tonight I was doing some reading and what. What it uh, in preparation it, for the yeah, show? It was yeah. Excellent. We we do we do a lot of research. We do. Um, and some of this no. I I want to take credit where credits due. Some of this we know. We just know yes, because we're that we're that cool, right? But a lot of it we we do glean off the internet. So um, for things, you, oh, dear yes, listener, right? Or actually, like dusty. I like the image of us like pouring through dusty volumes, right? Of books uh, but yeah, someone's just gonna go. They're just reading their Wikipedia. Yeah, I'm gonna start a <laughs> podcast myself. Then, God damn it. Um, so yeah, but no, in, in that, uh, you know, 
under those uh, library bulbs and flipping through those old volumes like I do in preparation, I found out. Reams of microfiche. Yes. <laughs> Indeed. Um, which, did you, did, did you, <laughs> I'm sorry, there, you, you can't let's help. Let's go with it. Go, yeah, tangents, right. let's do it. Okay, so I'm going to jump This is our right medalist episode ever. Go. Right, exactly. Here we go. No so, rules. As it turns out, <laughs> it was easier to make so many more of these movies back then because of the strength of the video rental market. So you could have an idea, you could bring it to a producer, you could say, hey, we're looking for, I don't know, six, seven, eight million dollars to put into this, a relatively modest budget. And even if you only opened in a handful of theaters, and even if you bombed in those theaters, the video rental market was so huge that you were gonna make all of your money back anyway, yeah. and everybody was happy. So this made under seven million in theaters. Right. But I remember when it came out, because Ozzy scared the shit out of me as a kid. Right. <clears throat> so, like, I remember it coming out. I was surprised that it didn't do that well, because to me, it was one of those, like, little looming threats. Right. And you would have. Because all the promo shit for this movie has, like, long hair metal Ozzy. Right. In it. Uh, not really a makeup to Gene Simmons, but, but all the Ozzy pictures are Ozzy. Right, right. And this, he's not. Yeah, I think they they thought that they had to sell it that way in order, to, you know, as a hook. But I know at the time, um, we didn't really – the Ozzy thing didn't even really register with us when we were first watching the movie. It was just more – it had kind of an interesting-looking box, um, just like, like it, all of our rentals started. Sure. But, um, but no, it's uh, it, it was one of those – Huge groupings of movies in the mid to late eighties, and um, and yeah, so that was a question answered. It was just easier to make these movies because the there was very little financial risk if you actually did make it. So here we have Trick or Treat. Now, like I was saying, it starts out as a much smaller movie, and it's extremely affecting, mainly because of the the performance of Mark Price. I was just gonna say we're we're nearly a half hour in. We have right. not even started talking about Mark Price. Skippy from Family Ties, as you know him. <laughs> the metalist member of Family Ties. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, even if you were to try to pick somebody from Family Ties, you would not pick Skippy. No. But they did. You'd pick Nick. Yeah, right. Nick, of course. Um, but, yeah, they went with uh, they went with Skippy. They went with Mark Price, uh, who it was just known as a comedic actor at that time. But uh, but they they liked him. He I think it was really from what I've read, it was Smith, the director, that actually was most impressed with him. Yeah. Um, and I think that that was just. Oh, do you act. think they connected on a level somewhere? It could be maybe the nerdiness, <laughs> possibly, possibly uh, Saw a lot of himself and young Mark Price. Yeah. Uh, character actor liking another character actor <laughs> right. wanting to give him a shot yeah. yeah no that i think very much could have gone that way and uh so thankfully it did because mark price is fantastic in this movie the thing about it to remember is is that there is no ground being broken in the first hour of this movie you've seen a million other 80s movies where it's a high school setting you've got kind of a nerdy kid or you know just he's on the outside of of the popularity bubble you've got all of the what are they they're the athletes or the rich kids or the popular kids whatever you want to call them and uh, he's on the outside of their group and he's bullied so there's they're not really reinventing the wheel no. by establishing these characters it's just that it's so at least in the beginning so well written and so well acted. Yeah, it's authentic because that's who the writer, what, like the writer, wrote himself. Right. This movie's yeah. about him. Yes, exactly, and it, and it really shines through. There, there is a scene uh, we talked about it before we we watched it ourselves that I remember being really affected by the first time that I watched it because it was just so humiliating. And it's a scene where Eddie, the the lead character played by my Mark Price, is sort of kind of tricked into being thrust out from the boys' locker room into the gymnasium where it's filled with girls playing yep. volleyball, and he's completely naked, and he's, you know, mortified naturally, turns around, and he's just kind of begging on the uh, the locker room door to be let back in and just humiliated, and somebody happens to have an Instamatic camera yeah. there, takes a picture of him, and it's – I remember watching it, and – whether it's it's how it's directed, because I think there's some slow-mo there and stuff, and just yeah. the way it's presented. Yeah, it's like a montage over, because uh, he's writing a letter to Sammy yeah. at the beginning about how awesome he is. 
and uh, how much he loves his renegade style and how metal he is <laughs> and how he got the fuck he went to the high school that they all go to that's the other thing <laughs> this um the superstar went to their high school right and it kind of makes it sort of uh, a little bit more immediate and and makes it interesting that you've got the reason why uh, the character of Eddie is, is so taken with Sammy Kerr, the the rock idol that he idolizes more than than any of the million bands that get exposure in this movie yeah. um, because of all of the eight million posters he's got on his wall. But anyhow, he loves Sammy Kerr more than any of them. And it's the fact that, yes, Sammy went to his high school. He actually, you know, was bullied himself, but he's one of the guys that got out of town. And you showed him who's showed boss. those bastards. Yeah. So that's that's why he puts so much stock in Sammy and is so completely devastated when very early in the movie we find out that Sammy Kerr has perished in sort of a mysterious yeah. hotel fire. Yeah. Do and, they say mysterious that like in the new and the news he's watching it? They just say if in a fire in a hotel fire. Yeah, I don't know if they even. Yeah, they might not even put a descriptive word yeah. with it. But um, but I think you as the audience, just based on the, the nuttiness that comes later. Yeah, I don't know because I did read that when I read like I was reading a synopsis and it does say he dies in a mysterious hour. But I watched it again today. And they just say hotel fire. Right. Oh, which okay. is kind of the weird. So the weird thing, the weird thing I have with this movie, it's a weird thing. It's uh, so like the, when they show Sammy um, in this like little newscast, there is a, a part because this is all during when all those l- lovely labels we all have on our albums now that say parental advisor, you know, parental advisory, explicit lyrics. Like, this is about the time that was happening. And, like, Frank Zappa went to Congress and testified about how terrible of an idea this was. And it's a suppression of art and things like that. So there is a scene here where Sammy Kerr is, like, talking to Congress uh, in front of the, P- uh, was it the PMRC? That sounds right. Yeah. yeah. Led by Tipper Gore. Fuck you forever, Tipper Gore. Um <laughs> So they so they kind of paint Sammy uh, Kerr as this very smart guy uh, who understands like the difference between himself and the art. I will say the thing I do love uh, in this news footage, they like are talking about how suggestive his shows are and that there's controversy and just show a like full 20 second clip of him like licking a snake and then biting it and drenching himself in the blood like they're just like put that all in the clip on the news <laughs> the entire uh anyway so um so they but so they paint him as this or at least to me he seemed like he was a you know a true artist someone who understand who he understood what he was doing and how he was expressing himself and how that affects others and you know but then later it's like, I'm also a demon who can control electricity and I'm back. Right. And I'm like, well, wait, do I, is this the same guy now? Like they never, like that is never, forgot how I got off on this tangent. No, 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 you're right. But that was, that was a huge sticking point for you and I is, and it, and it probably wouldn't have been if that actor and that little 30 second scene of him testifying in front of Congress wasn't so just kind of oddly compelling yeah um and and it's like this guy is interesting he's articulate you know he he's very much you know has the image of of a a metal god but but he's like i said he's well-spoken he's making interesting points he's impassioned and that character that characterization of sammy kerr while he's alive is very interesting and he's also interesting just as a visual image in Eddie's bedroom because he's got this one poster that kind of hangs up in the center yeah, of it all. Great poster. And it's it's this great sort of um, the, the background is kind of a black background and it's just Sammy sort of looking down kind of in this like kneeling stance and looking down and it's got a lot of power to, to yeah. the image. Just the shadows work perfectly. He looks menacing in it. Right. And it's it's extremely effective because for the first whatever two-thirds of this movie roughly – 
that's about all we really get of Sammy yeah. is just those those kind of two dimensional images. And uh, but they really work to great effect. Um, mainly, of course, like we've been saying, coupled with Mark Price's excellent performance as as Eddie. But also, we've got a great supporting cast of people that are that I, I would say range from serviceable to really good like his friend that plays like the straight up 80s yeah. nerd is awesome uh glenn morgan his only acting role are you serious yeah but then he went on to write i'm t- i wish i'd written him down but he wrote a bunch of like x-files episodes he wrote some movies you would have heard of like horror-ish movies he directed willard yes. <laughs> uh, so yeah he like stayed in the business but yeah this is his only acting he ever did so yeah you've got this you got that that actor doing an awesome glenn job. morgan yes and <laughs> being hilarious and you know i mean he's he's not nobody is playing over their type they're playing the the archetypes of of who they are but nobody's lampooning it even when you have like the typical 80s bullies um they just fit that to a t they're not yeah. It isn't overwritten to where they're like their insults just sound re- like ridiculous things that nobody would ever actually say to somebody even right. if they were idiots. But um, so everything is very tempered. It's very measured. It's very true to life and um, and extremely affecting. Yeah. The lead bully, Douglas Savant, who was on Melrose Place. Yes, I believe played a. If I'm not mistaken, hot gay bully, oh, I don't neighbor. <laughs> oh, maybe I don't. I never watched Mama's yeah. Place. I I think it was. Yeah, okay, I'm pretty sure. And but, then he um, was a, he was in something else too, a show like that. He was, yeah, but I can't remember. He what was, it was in a couple of things. Yeah, not important, but um, but yeah, he's he's great in this movie. As he as, looks like every blonde '80s bully in this movie. Yeah, like he could be like cousins with like Johnny from Karate. Yes, Kid. you know he's hundred percent. Is that he's filling that role for us, and he and he does it really, really well. So this brings up an interesting question about about this movie in general, and could you make this same movie today? Because first of all, let's talk about the metal aspect. Yeah. So as you've alluded to, as far as your reactions to metal back then, mine were a little bit different. I I was raised on metal. My dad was influencing me with Black Sabbath from like when I was a kid, a little kid. Yeah. Um so I I always loved it, but I all I too, like anybody, was still spooked by it a little bit because the imagery was cool and it was spooky. Oh yeah. And it but but at this Dude, time, I speaking of when I said Ozzy Osbourne scared me. Uh there's one album cover. I remember this uh, as a child. Uh, whatever record store used to be on like the north end of the county seat, there was a record store there. And I remember being in there as a small child, and there was this Ozzy album cover where he's like, his arms are outstretched, and he's got like this red jelly coming out of his mouth. And I just like stared at that because I was mesmerized and disgusted by it. That, and ju- do I you, think that's Bark at the Moon. It might be. Um, I have never wanted to go back and I know now I can find out what it is, but I've never wanted to, but I just remember like, it was something about the combination of that image and like the smell that had this weird musty smell. Uh, I just remember getting back to, uh, to the car and just vomiting all over the back seat. Oh my God. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So very traumatic. Uh, I'm not going to say that's n- not why I don't like metal, but I don't think that's the reason. <laughs> Look, me bring a, bringing a loaded gun to a, like a church <laughs> mixer not, is still not as cool as you throwing up from seeing an Ozzy poster. Yeah. That rule. I was throwing up devil horns while I was doing it. <laughs> that is metal. I'm sorry. That's that. That's very metal. To me. Uh, yeah. But yeah. So well, so, see, but I think like Black Sabbath and stuff. Like uh, this is our music podcast now. <laughs> like it's like for me with metal. The older metal, like ACDC and that stuff, and like Sabbath, while not my favorite, I have an appreciation for. It's kind of like country music where I can look at like old like Conway Twitty and like Dolly Parton and whatever. And while I like I don't like country music, that compared to modern country music or like more modern metal in this where it's that hairband shit, like I can at least appreciate the – Older metal. I feel like those are two separate 
metal categories like pop yes. country no, and right. older country. You're right. I like, like them both. Cinderella, Rat, Great White. I could list 10 bands I fucking hate. Now, there are like a couple that you listed right there. Yeah, there there was good and bad within it. I mean, I see, what you're saying is, is is exactly right. There was a big difference between hair metal or glam metal and what came before it, which would have been like hard rock sort of evolving into heavy metal. So, yeah, but there were bands that stood out like um obviously Motley Crue, there there were some really great songs there from from Motley Crue. Uh, who's going to argue with Sebastian Bach's singing voice in Skid Row? Like, sure. that guy can sing his balls sure. off. So there were some talent within these groups, um, but you're right. There was yeah. a lot of garbage I don't like as what well. they did with it, though. But, a lot of talent. I will – fucking Tommy Lee is an amazing drummer. I never want to listen to any of his music. Right. <laughs> but back to what we're getting at here, at least – some of those guys that really went in for the scare factor were were very effective at doing so. Sure. So yeah, Iron got, Maiden scared the shit out of me when I right. was a kid. And you've got you've got these bands that are projecting scary images on purpose and to to great to great success. So my question is, is there even a music that you could do that with now? Um, I don't think so. I don't know. The only, Am I out of touch with no, music right now? No, you're not. You're not. The only thing that you could maybe cite is like those crazy-ass Norwegians that just go around burning churches down that do black metal. What? Oh, right. Yeah. So, like, those guys. But, see, they're not even scary. They're just, like, they actually go and burn churches down. <laughs> you know, Ozzy Osbourne was never going to do right. that. They were just, criminals. Like, terrifying. But th- <laughs> those guys are, like, legitimately criminal over there. But, um, but no, there's, there's nothing that that really gets to us that way. And I don't know if that's because it's not being offered up or yeah. well, that's because we, we have so like video games now that uh, we're Ooh. able to warn the youth about. That's our great straw man these days are video games. Yeah, you're right. It's not really Satanism anymore, but Satan, like, you know, the, the religious ruling class has kind of lost some of their power. I feel in the last 10 years, uh, it's still very strong, but they don't have that kind of I- "I'm 12, I better get a loaded gun" <laughs> kind of you know kind of sway over people anymore. Many don't. Yeah. yeah. So but, you know, because we survived that time, we're like, oh, maybe Satan's not bad, right? The only thing that I could maybe, and this isn't music, but the only thing that I could see recently that would would kind of be as terrifying as this, actually, because it it did end up. Uh, unfortunately, very, very actual murderously is uh, Slenderman. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, like Slenderman, like that, that is actually causing people to <laughs> right. kill people, you know, or causing young people to kill people. But that's that's still not the same thing that I'm talking no. about. Like, we're talking about something that's mass marketed and was terrifying and even though none of it was actually based in any reality, but it, it still scared the crap out of us. And I just, yeah. I mean, maybe Marilyn Manson was kind of the last of that. Yeah. Probably. Who also reminded me of Sammy Kerr. Like, that's that Ooh, type yeah. of guy. Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, a guy that kind of. Seems well-spoken outside of his yes. act, but on stage, he put on a show that people loved. <laughs> Before we continue, you can, I have to ask. How is Slender Man actually pronounced? <laughs> it's Slender Man. It is Slender. Okay, yeah, it's not Mr. Slenderman. It's, it's not. It's not your local like Jewish podiatrist. <laughs> Ari Slenderman. <laughs> okay. Yeah, this toenails ingrown. Right. So, um, Slender Man. Yeah, Slender Man. Right. <laughs> so anyway, this movie. There's like a lot. This might go a little over an hour this right. time. All right, let's talk about what do you want to talk about? Okay, what, what should we talk about? Real quick, real quick, uh, let's talk about the his the, room. Can we talk about Eddie's bedroom? Let's do that because <laughs> it's cool as hell. It is so cool, but why is it there? It's like a portal to another dimension because his house is the most cookie cutter suburban. Yeah. <laughs> Sit- sitcom set I've ever seen. It's like Roseanne's house. Yeah, it is like Roseanne's house. And then his room is a vacant barn. 
Right. It's like if, if all exposed wood, light, like there seems to be no light bulbs in it. It's all natural shaded light. Right. It's like um, if this house were to actually or if this room were to actually exist, the house would look like your normal, like, you know, post World War Two bungalow and then have a giant 20 foot by 20 <laughs> foot just appendage yeah. sticking off the it's side a, of it. Enormous studio. It's a studio apartment. Yeah. It's like a good it's it's kind of like somebody wanted to do the idea of when someone would live in a garage, like renovate a yes. garage. But the garage is on the second story, which is, you know original at very least yeah but it but it is this cool ass um adjacent attic room yeah wait is he upstairs he's upstairs but he's not he's not oh. above the upstairs God, he's adjacent they are to the upstairs. upstairs dude up until this moment i was like it's a one level house but they do they go upstairs they go it's it's kind of a cape cod <sighs> it's like a cape Crazy. cod with a dormer but with a 20 foot by 20 foot dormer like a huge freaking dormer yeah this is our dormer. Welcome podcast. to the Slumber Architure Pro- Architecture Podcast. <laughs> so, anyway. um, yeah, he's so yeah, this- his room's nuts. <laughs> but yeah, it is. It's a great room, and it's filled with everything that every metalhead would want. Every poster, every album, every cassette tape. And this was kind of an interesting time period because it was where there was still that that crossover between people have albums and cassettes. That was kind of like. Probably, well, mid-80s, yeah, 85, 86, 87. Maybe you still listen to a couple things on record and then a couple things on tape. Yeah. So we're making that crossover. Um, the tapes for when you want to go portable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. He's got a Walkman. There are Walkmans in this movie. Oh, yes, there are. And uh, they are special. No CDs yet. No. No, no, no. But there is a Walkman, and boy, is it just a uh, mischievous little fella. <laughs> Um, so real quick, because uh, this scene is just so worth noting, not only because it has a um, a molesting Walkman, yeah, but because a demon shows up out of nowhere other than Sammy Kerr. Sammy Kerr doesn't really look like a demon. He kind of looks like a when he comes back in his demon form, looks sort of like a, a halfway Freddy Krueger yeah. glam guy. Yeah, he's but this is like a bald, slimy demon that shows up for no reason. I think he was supposed to be in more of the movie, but... but Well, yeah, they his name is Skeezix. Yeah. And, yeah, he was supposed to be like those icons that, like, uh, like um, uh, Iron, Iron Maiden. Maiden has or... Uh, Metallica has that Eddie character the, in the, in the uh, electric does, chair. Yeah. Oh, is that Iron Maiden? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's who has Eddie. Yeah. Oh. Um, anyway. Yeah. So, yes. So, those kinds of mascots, I guess. Yeah. That's what Skeezix was supposed to be. So, yeah, I think they had more like merch of Sammy's that would have shown up where, and it might even be on one of the posters. Okay. He's just kind of like uh, this kind of superimposed in the background just the head of it but yeah that was supposed to be his like his little buddy yeah well that's cool that would that that makes sense and without giving too much exposition you just have a really cool scene of a teenage girl um who's the girlfriend of the the main bully and uh he they're making out they're getting amorous and he inexplicably immediately abruptly decides that he has to take a piss yeah and then leaves for like he says i gotta go like i thought he was just leaving which, yeah, like, it wasn't like I gotta take a piss or there's a, I gotta go. Yeah, it's like we knew you were rude, but really that's <laughs> right, just like dude. disrespectful. You don't have to bully everyone, right? So he gets out of the car. She puts on his Walkman and is kind of like, oh, okay, I'll just listen to this. And so this sort of green kind of. Um, like spectral ghost kind of starts swarming around her ears and it's kind of beginning to work her way or work its way down her shirt and yeah, she's her digging blouse it. taking off her clothes we get some nudity here yeah um and then it actually kind of morphs into this hand and finger shape like kind of opening her her underwear i guess these are accessing her, her yeah underwear. um and then she proceeds to just continue to enjoy this yeah, she's on a romantic fun. level only to wake up to it's only partially the music skeezix yeah <laughs> and he's got a really long time oh man yeah and it and it's and he's putting it to good use but um she screams you know freaks out yeah and uh but yeah it's it's this uh, tim finishes his pee and runs back over to the car and, and, and like, it's a cool because he yeah. this is why i love this there's like a cool part and then just a come on 
where he's like he comes in he's like oh my god what's wrong and he like pulls back the headphones and the ear is just melted and it's just like it's so weird or i don't know if that's the whatever there's something melted maybe it's the plastic i don't know but then he's like immediately looks down at the tape and is like oh it's that tape the nerd gave me because uh uh what's the kid's name eddie 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 gave him the tape let's let's backtrack real quick just a little bit okay we should say like these quick specifics okay about what about what Sammy's trying to do. So he's Sammy's on the record. Uh he then records himself. He records the record. Sammy can control uh the record player and 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 Eddie's stereo essentially. Yeah. Well, see but I, yeah, a, a little bit. He's not super powerful yet. He's powerful enough to play the record and record it on a tape and he's like uh give this to Tim to listen to you. That's my backwards impression. <laughs> it was pretty good. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so, so that's how Tim has that tape, because so Sammy wants Eddie to kill for him essentially, and uh, so now Eddie realizes, oh, wherever like there are copies of this record, Sammy can get out. There are a lot of questions about what Sammy's powers are through the power of electricity and stuff like that, because he kind of. Through the power of Pepsi Cola that spills on the record, he's then able to like supercharge and come out of the speaker. Yeah, <laughs> essentially. isn't that kind of funny? That it's a very that's, weird that's moment. It that's all yeah. it took. So he, yeah, he eventually is able to become flesh. Yeah, because he's got the only copy of the record because Nuke was going to play it. Sammy wanted it played at midnight. <laughs> so yeah, Nuke's, probably... like, Nuke's like, hey, man, take this one-of-a-kind record. Uh, I put I copied it onto a tape. I'll play it. But then he's like, Sammy wanted to play it at midnight. That was his final wish. It's like, well, I'm sure he would have wanted the actual damn album played, right, not yeah. your hissy <laughs> tape copy. Right, right. Jesus, Nuke. Nuke's not even there to start it at midnight. So, yeah, the movie ends up being them trying to destroy all the copies of Sammy as he's able to... Yes, he also is electro from <laughs> spider-man like you can just go through electronics so there's this weird like i don't know well you're it's you're so but, weird but it's an interesting point kind of and and relating back to that that walkman scene with that sort of little bit of of uh grossness that we see when her ear is melted or what have you what's what's interesting about this movie because it deals so much with um you know, kind of as opposed to like a homicidal maniac running around in the woods. This is more about this guy that is traveling through radio waves and that sort of thing. So what what kind of gives its a unique look to this film as a result of that is that there isn't a ton of gore. And that was actually no. decided from the beginning. Dino, the I was executive add, What producer, is this movie rated? Not, it's R. Not to cut you off. It is mm-hmm. because I noticed there's a lot there's not a lot of swearing in no. it. And yeah. they use these weird, like he's like, uh, after the bullies. Uh, now they've <laughs> they almost drown him at another point in the movie. They put a weight in his fucking backpack and right. push him into a pool. So they almost drown him. And so he's uh, so there's also this other girl we haven't even talked about. She's not even is she a final girl? Kind of a final girl, I guess. Yeah. A little bit. Um, but she's kind of one of the popular ones. But she's the one who kind of likes him and doesn't like how mean to everyone. And so, you know, she saves him from the pool and he's like, oh, you set me up like you knew they were going to do that. I'm going to nail them. I'm going to nail every one of them. And then later, like when he's talking to Sammy on the record, Sammy's like, nail, nail Leslie. And he's like, no, no, she didn't do anything. Nail her. I'm going to nail your mom. And I'm like, do they mean kill? Like, are they not saying kill? Because they say nail so many times. Or was that a term? In the mid '80s, that I just missed. Well, I mean, it was um, like, yeah, getting nailed. Like, and there's something else it, where the 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 bully says something, but he doesn't say like, he's like making it. Were you guys making it? Right. Yeah, <laughs> it is. You're right. I it, it is an R movie. I think it could have easily. Oh yeah, there are boobs. I, I don't know if maybe they were going for like a soft R, yeah. you know, as opposed to a hard R. There are some. It's already Satan in it. I mean, right. Well, and there, <laughs> it's funny. Like you're that one part you were talking about. 
Um, there are some curse words in it, like where the record is sort of speeding up and slowing down, where it goes like, nail them all, nail them all, fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's I, okay. Yeah. Say what? <laughs> so, yeah, so they'll throw the F word out there, but yet kind of use these euphemisms yeah. at other, other times. So it is, I would call it a soft R. If it, I would say it would be safe to show this movie if you were introducing like a, a 14-year-old to horror movies. Like this one would be fine. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, Dino De Laurentiis decided from the very beginning, he actually called in the producers and he said, I want to talk about blood. And the producers were kind of like, oh, crap. Like, here we go. He's going to want buckets and buckets of blood. And it was actually the opposite. He's like, let's have fun with this. Like, let's not just make it a, a hack fest and, and limbs flying all over the place. Let's let's make it more fun. Let's make it a little bit more interesting than that. More of a like a monster movie than just a, a slasher with blood all over the place, yeah. which I think works really well for it, especially since we're talking about a guy that travels through radio waves. <laughs> right. And this kind of goes back to, you know, here we are talking about Sammy and, and how he's beginning to sort of manifest himself. And... I think it's now time that we can talk about how unfortunately disappointed we are in the film as we start to reach that what you call the third act, which I think is is completely accurate. The first two thirds of this movie are absolutely fantastic and so watchable and so endearing. But like I always say, and Andrew's heard me say this a million times, the movie is at its best when it's small. In the beginning, when when we're not using a lot ton of visual effects, when I mean there's effects, but they're very small. When everything is more um, just true to life, as far as the story is concerned, the movie is fantastic. It shines. Yeah. As it gets bigger, and we have bigger effects, and we see Sammy Kerr more often, and we see Sammy as the demon Sammy, as opposed to when he was alive. This is when the movie starts to feel. Not necessarily phoned in, but it loses that heart. It loses that focus. Yeah. And it feels like it it's having to live up to something. Yeah. And it really doesn't. It's he such shows a... up at the big Halloween dance. Yeah. That is a small subplot thing where he was supposed to play the high school and the city was like, no, no, absolutely not. He can't. And But so he finally got he got to play his show at his old high school. Right. And. And it's and it's unfortunate because while there are some and then funny he disintegrates things, people, <laughs> right? And that's the thing. If if the whole movie had just been kind of more along that silly tone, then you'd be like that dance would probably be really funny and the, yeah. the climax that you're looking for. But because the movie has been so true to life and been so affecting, by the time you get to this bigger, quote unquote, bigger budget aspect of of the film, it does kind of lose that heart. Um, it, It does lose that connectivity with the audience a little bit. I mean, yeah, you do see more, you know people exploding or being evaporated and and special effects. But Sammy goes from being this sort of interesting figure, this this intriguing guy when he was alive and just the way that that Eddie is talking about him to being this, like like I said earlier, he's actually more three-dimensional as a character when you see him in two dimensions. On yeah. a, a poster on the wall, <laughs> or you know, on the TV screen. Then when he actually, or just did, through the ra- the record, right? And then when you when you actually see him in three dimensions, when he does become manifest, it, it, he actually starts to lose effect. Yeah, you're like, oh, this is just a shitty hairband. And the actor that played uh, Sammy, his name was Tony Fields. Tony Fields. And um, who really kind of came up as a dancer. He was a Broadway dancer. He was a dancer in the Thriller video. He did, you know, various music videos. Really talented guy. Um, You know, moves great. Uh, You can tell that he's a dancer. And he actually is fine as an actor when he's actually given something to do in the beginning in that short little clip. But really, he's kind of... I could just imagine what the script looks like for him in that third act, and it's like makes a snarling face, right? You know, looks at menacing, right? Exactly, and they just don't give him anything to work with. No. Now, the the writer of the film actually admitted that, you know, hey, I, I was twenty two years old. All right, when I when I was writing the first part of the movie, it was really true to life for me, and that's why it, it's probably better, right? 
And then when it got to the end, I, you know, what do I, I'm 22 years yeah, when old. When I had to make stuff up, I just hit a wall. <laughs> right. And, um, and unfortunately, it's not that the movie becomes awful. It's just that it doesn't continue on the same great path that it started. Yeah. With. That's all. Well, yeah, because you don't know, you don't know what Sammy's goal is. You don't, you don't know the scope of his powers or whatever. So you never know when to be expecting him frightened or whatever. I, you know, I guess there, there is kind of they're just destroying every electronic radio that they have. So, so right. there's kind of that, but then he can like control a car. So you're like, well, all right, does he have to be wired in? Because they're like shutting power down. They're like trying to trap him in a, you know, trying to get him to pop out of the radio and then destroy the radio station and then, you know, short circuit the radio. So, so that's all crazy. I don't know what Sammy wants. Did he just want to play that show? Well, he got it, that. Like, what's he going to do then? The fact is, if I think what we're – and this is by no uh, intention your misrepresentation of understanding the film because you're right. We are not given any of that information. Yeah. I think upon, you know, these repeated viewings that – at least what I'm piecing together – is that his intention while he was alive, kind of buying into his own hype, getting deeper into Satanism, that he had a plan to sort of sacrifice – himself i i don't think his death was accidental okay i think the plan was he was going to record this album he was going to uh make a deal with the devil he was going to have it played at midnight and that that was going to empower him to then come back as this all-powerful demon that could then be everywhere because it's being broadcast to the whole okay. city i can buy that because mark kind of has a dream when he's listening to the album for the first time right. and it's of Sammy, but it's obvious he's just like sitting in this fire, in like he's expecting it. Yeah, yeah. So okay, I can I can go along with that, but still, it is not. No, that's never mentioned again, or or even that. Oh, like you know, he's a popular figure. You could have a character just be like, he got into some crazy shit at the end of you know at the end of days. Like right. I don't I don't I'm I don't I'm not surprised he's dead. Well, the and and I think maybe that that if you had to pick one word as as sort of his motivation, maybe it's just revenge. You know, the yeah. idea that I'm going to come back, I'm going to be stronger than ever, I'm going to be this all powerful demon, and I'm going to have revenge on the town that 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 rejected me. Yeah, that maybe maybe it's, that's what it is. Now that doesn't it probably could have shown through a little bit more clearly than that. Yeah. Um. But uh. But I think that was the intention. And what's interesting about the movie though is that. For everything that we're talking about, as far as all the groups that were against metal at the time that this came out, I think this movie does a really good job of not demonizing, so to speak, metal at all. No. But kind of saying, like, metal is fine. Yeah. It's just, you know. It kind of skewers both sides of it. Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I do. We got to wrap it up. But before we go, I do want to just briefly talk about. There are some like just like crackers funny moments in this movie oh, yeah. that come out of nowhere. They're just like cartoonish. Uh, two in particular that I can think of. One, uh, Mark like throws some lunch on or right Eddie Jesus. His name is Mark. Real name Eddie throws some lunch on the bullies and they chase him. <laughs> One hits the like wet floor. And goes sailing like over a flight of stairs. Yes, like the floor is greased with wet, uh, like hot butter. That part <laughs> is hilarious. And then the other is uh, they've shown like through some news footage, and they show the people speaking out against Sammy. One of the old women is Large Marge from Pee Wee's Big Adventure. <laughs> yeah, and when when Sammy reveals himself in Roger's house, the friend's house. The TV comes on and she's on it talking and he reaches into the TV and grabs her throat and she makes this like, oh, <laughs> face. <laughs> and then he pulls her out of the TV. But then what he pulls out of the TV is something like a quarter of her size, but like a like a charred, shriveled human body, kind of. Yeah, like a it's like a human mass looking thing, but it's like not her size at all. Or it's like the size of what that perspectively would be from the television, you know? Right. It's, it's like almost a, like a weird little mummified. It is. Like, it's so yeah. weird. And then, 
And then when Sammy leaves, it cuts back to Roger. He's vacuuming this thing He's up. vacuuming a charred oh large marge God. off of his living room floor. I died. It's hysterical. Yeah. And you're right. There's a ton of funny stuff in this movie. I mean, for all of that endearing stuff in the beginning, there's some really hysterical stuff that happens. And and I think that we can say, as opposed to a lot of other movies that we've we've covered, I think when it's when this movie is funny, it, it is trying to be funny, um, and it, and it succeeds. Yeah, like it's it's great in that. And the movie succeeds in way more things than it fails at. Everything that we're talking about with the ending there, I. I hate to use the word forgivable because I would have loved to have had it continue on that great trajectory, but it's still, if anything, it just ups the silly fun factor, I guess. Yeah. Um, and it, it doesn't, it doesn't, um, it wouldn't take away a recommendation for somebody to watch. You absolutely should see this movie. Uh, yeah. I give it a soft recommend. Like, yeah. I don't know if I'd ever want to watch it again. You loved the first hour of it though. Uh, well, I, it was not, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Right. Um, Had more depth. It certainly did. Yeah. Uh, it helped with, like, the Gene Simmons and Ozzy bits where I was like, oh, cool. They're not doing, like, just hamming it up right. for an easy paycheck. You know, like, actually, like, working. Now, here's the tricky thing about us making this recommendation is this movie is not easily you know uh, find a well no. I, you can't get it you, no you can't we, get we watched answer. it on youtube the full the full movie is on youtube uh, there's a lot of versions on youtube right of the full movie i don't think any of them are bad necessarily it's not hard to find a good version of this on youtube yeah it's not is it 4k no but i mean it's it's certainly watchable yeah and the sound quality is decent enough. yeah it's fine yeah. yeah so yeah you can find it on youtube i mean you've got no excuse not to watch this now folks i mean no. it's it's free look it up on youtube watch it uh as far as pearl clutching i uh I, i'm gonna say that actually it's for people that do clutch pearls yeah. it's huge it's up there i mean that this is oh. right up pearl clutcher's alley I forgot we had a viewer mail about pro clutching. We had a we oh, had we mail. Did. I forgot to print it out. It's fine. We'll do it in the next episode. We'll do some viewer mail. Speaking. We have two viewer mails. So yeah, which is huge. And please keep those coming. Even if it's the two people that sent us the two emails, <laughs> right. send us more emails or other people. And and you can talk about anything. It doesn't have to be movie recommendations. It can be. Or it can just be your thoughts on on what we've said. Correct us on things that we've gotten wrong, uh, pronunciations, yeah. uh, whatever it is. Um, but, yeah, just, just send us your thoughts. So sneak preview. There was a letter about pearl clutching. Oh yes, yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> Speaking of which, what are we gonna what are we gonna cover next? Uh, yeah, okay. So uh, the next movie we're gonna do is 1981's The Burning. Uh, one I'd never heard of. One that I heard of and wish that I hadn't. <laughs> oh, spoiler <laughs> but we're alert! Talk all about that. <laughs> yeah, that's coming next. But this was Trick or Treat from 1986. Directed by, uh, don't have notes here. Uh, directed by Charles Martin Smith. Seventy-five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. The critics love it. The audience score was lower. It was like sixty-two percent or something really? like mm. that. Yeah, I get it. Well, sixty-two percent of the movie's worth watching. That's true. <laughs> that's almost dead accurate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's real close. Uh, so yeah, it's been Trick or Treat or Ragman or. That oh, worked. also the the name of his album. Songs in the Key of Death. Yeah, very clever. For those Stevie Wonder fans out there who are rolling their eyes. <laughs> so to speak, yeah. So to speak, yeah. yeah. Okay, so yeah, that wraps up this episode. Please uh, rate, review, and subscribe uh, to this podcast. You can find it on uh, all your different podcast things. Follow us at Slumber Podcast Massacre uh, on Instagram. Uh, slumberpodcast at gmail.com our patreon is patreon.com slash slumberpodcastmassacre uh, anything else to say? Uh, no I think that that sums it up fucking rock on Timmy Woo-hoo! no false medal <laughs>